This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. There's long been the temptation for politicians to use price controls to try to make goods and services less costly for constituents. Such was the case for the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, which sought to control drug costs by imposing price limits on many of the drugs used by Medicare and Medicaid patients and reducing the patent duration enjoyed by certain new drugs before going generic. This feature of the new law promised to make new drugs more affordable and reduce the federal budget deficit by $237 billion over the next 10 years. Not surprisingly, before the implementation of the new law, drug manufacturers warned that these interventions would reduce their ability to fund new research, slowing the rate of new drug discoveries, thereby harming healthcare consumers in the long run. Unpersuaded by their claims, the 117th Congress passed the IRA into law in late 2022. Now, several months later, policymakers and industry analysts can assess whether indeed drug firms are reacting to the new law. What, if any, is the nature and magnitude of Big Pharma's response? And which drugs and patients are most likely to be affected by any change? My guest today is Senior Fellow and Director of the Pioneers Life Science Institute, Dr. Bill Smith. Dr. Smith will explain the changes to incentives brought by the Inflation Reduction Act and share how many of the largest pharmaceutical firms have already begun to shift their business focus and change the way they invest in new drug discovery research. When I return, I'll be joined by Pioneer Institute's Senior Fellow, Dr. Bill Smith. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined again by Bill Smith, who is Senior Fellow and Director of Pioneer Life Science Initiative. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the effects of the Inflation Reduction Act on new drug development. I want to have you back to the podcast because you and I have discussed in earlier episodes the risks associated with changing the way drug development companies price their products. Our last Congress didn't heed our uh, warnings uh, and uh, passed the Inflation Reduction Act anyway. Uh, perhaps they're not listeners of Hubwonk, uh, but we now have enough uh, information since the Inflation Reduction Act was passed to see what the response was by the uh, large drug manufacturing companies. Uh, it's also, with our conversations, my hope that uh, we'll both address this particular issue and also offer our listeners a lesson in real-world economics that perhaps they can apply to other policy areas. So let's start with what happened. The Inflation Reduction Act made several changes to the way drug companies get paid. I wanna first focus on the changes made to certain types of drugs called small molecule drugs. Describe what small molecule drugs do so we can understand what types of new drugs are affected and uh, of course, which, which ones are not affected. So well, small molecules are, are the kind of pill you would get at the pharmacy. They would come in a yellow bottle and they're in pill form. And, and that's different than a biologic or a large molecule, which might be made from living from living enzymes or, or living tissue. And uh, it, it's a larger molecule. It's more complicated. And uh, so and small molecules have their advantages. Uh, a small molecule can get to parts in the body that a large molecule may not be able to. There's something called the brain blood 
uh, membrane that that a small molecule is more easily cross can easily more easily cross and uh, and and so small molecules work better on things like cancer uh, certain diseases where you have to get through this membrane and get to the tumor. Um, and so the the Inflation Reduction Act makes a distinction between these two types of drugs. It it for the first time puts price controls in effect into the Medicare program, both Part B and Part D. Part D is for drugs you typically get in the pharmacy. Part B is drugs that might be infused or injected in a hospital or a doctor's office. But nonetheless, all drugs in the Medicare program now may be subject to some kind of price controls. But the bill goes further than that and, and actually makes a distinction between large and small molecules. For small molecules, the bill so, allows. Bill, I, I want to unpack here. You're, you've given our listeners a lot, and you're, you're okay. always knee deep in this, this topic. But some of our listeners, you know, this may be their first introduction to these concepts. So I want to I want to make it simple for for them to understand the this, the distinction. You've said we have small molecules; those are largely going to be perhaps I'll generalize injectable. Large molecules you'll see in in pill form. Uh, I've Just the, the opposite. I've yeah. got the reverse, right? Small yeah. molecules are the pills, and the large molecules are injectable. Um, and so most of our, the changes affect those small molecules. And you say they have they have special usage. We they're not interchangeable. We can't do everything with both small and large. Small has a particular um, benefit. You mentioned the blood brain barrier. What kind of therapies do small molecules target? Let's say we're talking obviously something in the brain. I'll, I'll, we'll acknowledge that. What about some things like, say, perhaps cancers? Is is it particularly useful for those? It, it is because you have to cross that brain blood barrier to get to a uh, to get to a cancerous cell, and so small molecules can can be more effective on cancer. And and we have seen since they decided to put price controls on the small molecules sooner than on large molecules. If you're on the market for nine years as a small molecule, now you can be price controlled. So, so, Bill, I want to I want to unpack this concept too because again we wanna, we'll start with the basic terms and we talk about uh, price controls. Um, let, let's start with the very basic. When I'm a drug company and I develop a new new drug, the government gives me something called a patent, which effectively offers me a monopoly. I have the right because I invented it. I made something out of nothing, and correct. I have the right to sell it on the market at a price I want to sell it at. So I have a certain amount of time that I can enjoy enjoy that patent, and then it becomes. Uh, uh, common common property, and uh, someone can make a generic of my drug. But that's a, a period of time. Say more. Why are uh, drug companies granted this monopoly? What 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 is the value of that? Well, <laughs> it's simple. Uh, you you want to protect the inventions of inventors um, because if you don't, if if somebody can copy the invention the moment it comes out and sell it, there's no incentive to to create inventions. So. A patent gives for a limited period of time. When it comes to drugs, you get a 20-year patent. And many times the patents are put on the molecule during the R&D process. So you don't get 20 years of, of patented sales. You might get 15 years of patented sales because it takes five years or more to get through the R&D process. And you've already put a patent on it. So it, it, patents, patents are the protection that you give to inventors for inventing new new things. So um, the, the protection is so that you have an incentive to create new inventions, right? You say, okay, your reward for this 
creation is going to be, you know, perhaps make a lot of money, but for a short period of time. We want to have essentially a, a prize, if you will, for, for a reward for developing something new. And it's, it's a finite time. You said 20 years for, for a drug. Uh, and this is where I want to tie our first concept to our second concept, which is the government in the IRA has decided to make a distinction between the time we can enjoy a patent for large molecules and time we can enjoy a, a patent for small molecules. Say more about that detail. Yeah. So with a small molecule uh, under the IRA, if you've been on the market nine years, the government can then inflict price controls on your drug. For large molecules, they have to wait 13 years. So there's a four-year difference in the in the likelihood of getting price controls put on your drug, which is going to have, have consequences in the real world. I mean, Drug companies now are going to look at their portfolio and they're going to say, well, wait a minute, we should be looking at large molecules because we're going to get more patent life and we're going to get more cash from that that type of invention. Now, now, Bill, this is this is your field of study. You come from the world of, of big, big pharma. Um, don't all when we talk about portfolios, are there some companies that only do small and some others that do only large or uh, does a large company like like a Pfizer look at uh, its development options and say, look, I've got a, a, a stable of, of big and stable of small and, and then make their priorities relative to the likely return on each. Say more about that. Precisely. Yeah. A large company, you know, the top 20 drug companies are going to have portfolios of both large and small molecules, and they're going to make decisions about what the return on the investment is going to be. If you sink money into a small molecule uh, research program, you're going to figure Oh, well, we might have nine years on the market and then it goes away. The patent goes away and and the, the government could could knock the price down to almost nothing. Um, and so we might not see a return on that drug. So you, let's let's look at more seriously at the large molecule research projects, because they're going to be more profitable over the long run. We're going to have four more years of of market-based pricing for that particular product uh, as opposed to price controls. So, so Bill, let me let me push back and let's say, okay, um, I've got choices, big or small, but at the end of the day, I'm still making a lot of money. Like, why is it that I need so many years, uh, so much money? Uh, you know, nine years is still a lot. Uh, why is it so much different than 13 years? Why, why would that affect how, what I decide to develop? Well, if you're going to have a successful drug, you have to, one, you have to pay back the money that you've spent on the R&D for that particular drug. And and that the R&D on a particular drug can cost in the billions of dollars. So you have to pay that back. You also have to pay back all of the research projects that went south, that didn't work out. And you, you canceled them. You might have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on drugs that got into trials and didn't work. So you have to pay pay those back. So the longer you can stretch out the patent life, the better, uh, because you're you're aggressively working to make up for all of these research projects, some that were successful and some that were failures. Um, and uh, it, you know, it, if you you arbitrarily limit the patent life, it's just like anything else. You know, we can talk about the details of the IRA, but Joe, we should step back and just talk about price controls generally. You know, everybody's complaining about the price of eggs. And if we, if the government came down and said a dozen eggs can, you can't charge more than a dollar for a dozen eggs, what would happen? Eggs would go away. We'd have a shortage of eggs. Nobody would produce eggs because it's too expensive to buy the chickens and to feed them. And 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 there's bird flu out there, and and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna make those eggs. And and the same is true with these small molecule drugs. 
you put price controls on them, you're going to have fewer of them. That that's just that's just the reality. So so I, I want to sort of uh, you know let's imagine you and I are I don't know, fruit researchers and we have apples and oranges and we could have a new variety of of an apple or a new variety of an orange and if I can enjoy let's say. 13 years of price uh, freedom uh, for, with my apples and only nine with my oranges, I'm going to make new apples and at least fewer, if not no longer make any new or spend time developing new oranges. Yes, you're going to be planting apple orchards. You're not going to be planting orange orchards. Okay. All right. Um, is it possible? Um, well, you and I have talked about in theory how this would work, um, but I want to get more into the specifics. So uh, if we took a time machine and went back a year, you and I would have, it, let's say, a theoretical economics uh, uh, discussion on what's the likely impact of, of, of the IRA. So now we're, we're less than six months beyond its passage. So now we can actually look and take a survey of the industry and say, did what we predict happen? Uh, or is this a lot of posturing by, uh, by uh, drug companies that want to make um, more money than they deserve, right? You and I predict it, but who knows what the real world will happen. So let's let's dive down. This is your area of expertise. You're the one analyzing what's going on in the uh, in the drug uh, you know, universe. Uh, share with me some examples of if any ob observed changes in the way um, drug companies are allocating their resources and committing their research um, uh, energy. Yeah. So, I mean, right out of the box, Eli Lilly, which is one of the premier oncology companies in the world, canceled a small molecule drug project for a blood cancer drug because they didn't think they'd get the return. And they explicitly said in their press release on canceling this research project, it's due to the fact that the IRA will likely make the return on this drug not as profitable for us. We, we're going to move on to other other projects. And, and we've seen a number of other companies, Novartis, which is a top 10 drug company in the world and makes oncology drugs, and, and Alkermes, which is a local Boston biotech company, they're all saying, we're reviewing our portfolios and we may be favoring large molecules and not smaller molecules. So I think the predictions we made are coming, coming to, to the bear. Um, because because they're they're canceling drug projects that for small molecule drugs, particularly in the cancer area, and and this is troubling. Well, I, I want to cite one thing. Uh, it was a an article you had brought to my attention. It was a, a quotation from the head of uh, the CEO of uh, Alchemy's, um, Richard Pops, when he was talking with analysts. Uh, you know, I'll quote um, what uh, he said. Uh, he's actually spinning off a cancer drug research firm. He's sort of saying, we, we don't want it anymore. We're going to spin it off. And he said, quote, it's been reckoned that the difference between 13 and nine years is about 50% of the total cash on cash from a revenue perspective. So in other words, you know, the projected revenue, when you cut it in half, it may be negative. In other words, you're not just making less, you might not make anything on it. So it's not worth it. And of course, firms are accountable to shareholders. They can't just do it. Uh, because uh, it's fun. It has to have some return. Uh, and literally from the, the CEO's mouth, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, no, I know. The, the R&D process is a very sophisticated process and it involves science, but it also involves business. You know, when, when they're looking at projects and which projects, research projects they're going to fund, they're looking at the return. They're looking at the therapeutic area and what the reimbursement is likely for this drug over the course of its life. 
Um, and they know which ones are potential money makers and which ones are not. And what the IRA is doing is tipping the scale enormously against small molecule drugs, making them far less cash attractive uh, for these firms. And they'll run the numbers. They'll 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 do the numbers and and they'll cancel the small molecule projects if they don't look profitable. Well, I'll, I'll t- uh, talk about another example you sent me along, I, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, Novartis is, has, has a lot of what they call RNA drugs. And I think uh, these are interesting to listeners. We we saw the power of um, mRNA uh, vaccines that uh, were rolled out. That wasn't just a different kind of vaccine. It was a different platform. It was a different way of, of solving a virus, a, a, a platform, if you will. Yes. Uh, Novartis was saying, Look, we're looking down to this whole new platform, uh, not just a new drug, but a new way of building drugs or, or creating drugs. We're, we're, we're going to move away from it because though it may be promising and though if we do find the way there, it will I mean huge returns. It's just not worth it in, you know, in, in our uh, projected uh, return. Uh, say more about the idea that you won't even develop new platforms if they're sort of targeting small molecule outcomes. Yeah, Novartis actually, the R&D person that was quoted in this article from Novartis pointed to drugs called radioligands. Um, These are drugs that that, uh, the molecule carries along with it a radioactive uh, molecule so that if it finds the the tumor, it, it puts radioactivity right on top of the tumor. Now, these drugs are the latest cutting edge research, but they're considered small molecules which means they could be price controlled within nine years. And Novartis seemed to be saying, we're, we're going to look at these less. Uh, we're going to, these projects are not going to be as profitable for us. So we might, we might not go with these radioligands. Um, we, we might, we might go somewhere else and we might stress biologics and larger molecule research projects. And this is, this is just, this is just bad. You want, you want a level playing field between small and large molecules because you want to bring the, bring the best medicines to the fore, right? You don't want to discourage one type of molecule if they're they're very promising, and that's precisely what the IRA does. So uh, I'll say again, with with the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, the the intent of these controls um, is frankly something you and I both love, is which is we hope the government spends our money more wisely or spends wastes less of it. So. It, the stated intent of, of these price controls is to have the government spend less money, particularly on the the uh, patients it pays for, which are primarily older um, people who enjoy uh, Medicaid or Medicare. So this is particularly targeted to those drugs that older people uh, will use. So let's kind of uh, connect some dots here. Uh, if this is deliberately intended to target these price controls, target drugs that are developed for the benefit of older or diseases that affect older people. What's the likely outcome of having less attention directed towards older uh, diseases that affect older people? Well, well, one would expect, and I think one can (laughs) pretty much count on this, that research projects that target childhood cancers are going to be seen as more valuable than those projects that target cancers for older Americans. There's just, just no doubt about that because young people are not on the Medicare program. So that drug is not going to get price controlled. Whereas a drug for an elderly patient that, that's in the Medicare program, that drug could end up getting price controlled. So you're going to see the incentives for research move towards younger patients, um, younger and younger patients and away from Medicare patients. Which is not a good thing either. Um, that's that, that's not a good thing. You don't want to just make drugs for young people. Um, 
So this this has all sorts of unintended consequences that uh, that the Congress did not think through when they passed this law. And one sm- uh, smaller detail, and I don't know how much you think this affects uh, the industry, um, that uh, there is a carve out for small molecules that affect a single, I, I think what the intended uh, purpose of this was so-called orphan drugs, these rare diseases that, you know, we, we develop one therapy and it targets that one, one disease. But if that uh, drug affects or can improve the outcome of two diseases, it's no longer exempt. What, what's the unintended consequence of, of that provision of, of essentially uh, a narrow carve out for orphan drugs that, that goes away if you, you use it for other therapies? That That's just a terrible provision. And once again, it's a, t- a, a provision that will uh, will throttle cancer research, research because many cancer drugs get on the market with a single indication, say you get it for lung cancer. You get you get FDA approval, but then you know what the mechanism of action is on on the lung cancer. So it, we, you think, oh, this might work on prostate cancer. Also, this might work on other cancers. But the in, there's no incentive now to go into trials and get that second indication because once you get that second indication, you're subject to price controls. So we've already seen drugs out there, not cancer drugs, but we've seen drugs out there that could have gotten a second indication for rare diseases that the company chose not to move forward because they would lose their exemption to price controls if they had pursued more trials and trying to get a second indication. This is just this is just a, a way to limit our knowledge uh, of medical science. It, indeed, I want to sort of generalize. So we, we, it's pretty clear that what we're trying to do. I mean, let, let's give credit where credit's due. A well-intentioned uh, policymaker says, "Look, we're spending too darn much on drugs. Let's see what we can do about it." And what you know, intuitively, they say, "Well, we pay too much. Let's let's limit how much we have to pay and impose price controls." For me, this is sort of uh, intuitively where we where a lot of people make make an error where they think if the government imposed a price control. My life would be better. I'd have to pay less. I, I, I want to generalize. I promise at the top of the show we would, you know, offer listeners just some basic uh, uh, economics. For me, this uh, a good a- analog, and it's top of mind for me recently. Is that uh, I, uh, you know, roughly a hundred percent of our listeners wish they paid less in rent, uh, and they might appeal to government to say, "Look, help me out here. Uh, uh, may, impose a limit on how much my landlord can raise my rent." Uh, we know that to be called rent control. The government well-intentioned says, oh, you can only raise rent so much. Uh, and so what are the unintended consequences? You mentioned it like, like with the eggs. If you can't uh, raise rent, you are uh, disincentivized to, to develop new property, uh, to improve the property you have. And so whereas it was well-intentioned to limit rent uh, increases, it has the effect of having fewer properties to rent. And those properties that are available are of lower quality. To me, this is the same as, as a drug. You wish the drug were less. Uh, you impose a price control, and the effect is what we have now is frozen in amber, and new development is 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 comes to a screeching halt. Do, do you have similar sort of you know uh, stories where you, whereby you see a well-intentioned government intervention having the opposite of its intended effect? Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, I'm very pessimistic about this IRA law uh, because of its effect on R and D and research. Um, and and I think policymakers have have missed the boat. The reason that drug prices resonate as an issue with the consumers out there and maybe some of the listeners on this show is because out-of-pocket costs under health plans have been growing and growing and growing. And you have about one or two percent of patients that might get a very 
expensive rare disease drug because they have a rare cancer or they have someone and they're they're required in some cases to shell out five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars uh, to pay for that drug before their insurance even kicks in. So we're not seeing a crisis of drug prices rising. Drug prices actually have been dropping for the last five years. Now, 20 years ago, I couldn't say that. There, there were a lot of new drugs and they were expensive and they were making a big difference on, on healthcare budgets. That's not the case anymore. Drugs, drug prices are down, 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 and they have been for five years. And in part, that's happening because of the patent system. There, are, Over the next five years, we're going to save $140 billion on our, our healthcare budget because drugs have gone off patent and they're going to go generic and they're going to get very cheap. And we, we're now seeing biosimilars come into the market, which are copies of of large molecule drugs, and they're going to save $40 billion over the next few years. So it, I don't see a crisis of drug prices. Uh, I see a, an out-of-pocket problem for a small number of patients. And we certainly should try to help those patients because th this out-of-pocket problem is a genuine problem. If you get prescribed a very expensive specialty drug for a rare cancer or arthritis or some other condition, and you have a high deductible health plan, you're going to be paying a lot of money out of pocket. And and uh, and that's why the drug pricing issue resonates with a lot of people. But prices are not rising. They're just not. But let me let me also say then, let, uh, let, let's uh, play this out. I have a rare cancer and a very expensive therapy. And it's natural to say, I wish I didn't have to pay so much. The alternative, though, is in a parallel universe, the price is controlled. The, de the, the therapy is never investigated and the drug doesn't exist. So your your choice isn't between an expensive therapy and a cheap therapy. You're, you're expensive. It's between an expensive therapy and no therapy. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me, again, when I've had a very, uh, let's say, lengthy policy discussions, again, with my professors back at the Kennedy School, uh, they would look at me kind of quizzically and say, you know, look, we've, we've invented just about everything. Let's just figure out how we can make it available to everyone. Let's, let's figure out how we can push a button and make everything that is now available free to everyone on earth. And I say, that's fine. But of course, you know, it will mean an end to research and development. And they will even accept that. They'll say, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but, you know, we've got just about everything we need just about now. And I'd say, what if we took that policy choice 100 years ago? What would we have? We would have nothing. Your doctor would give you his best wishes and send you home. You would have nothing. Uh, and if we aspire to uh, to cure the, the worst diseases of the world, we need to provide a healthy incentive for its new new development. I don't know. If, if, am I going on a, a rant too much? No, no, you're, you're, you're precisely right. I mean, if, if you wanted to cut drug prices by 99%, you could do that in the, in the blink of an eye. Just get rid of the patent system and make all drugs generic so that every branded drug out there, the prices, it could be copied cheaply and sold cheaply. That would be a magic way to make drugs very, very cheap. The downside, of course, is no one will invent a new drug. If you're not going to have, if, if you're gonna, it's going to be copied the immediately after you invent it, then why bother? Why bother inv investing all that research and spending all that money to to get to get to a cure? Um, so, you know, we decided in the U.S. like it or unlike it. Some some Kennedy School professors may not like it, but we've decided 
that you put a patent on, you give a patent to an inventor for a limited period. And then when that patent expires, the invention gets very, very cheap because it can be copied by others. And that's the world that we've we've created for drugs in the United States. They have a 20-year patent. They can be expensive when they go off patent. They're very cheap, sometimes even pennies for a pill. So uh, if you don't like that system, propose something else. Um, but you can't you can't dismiss the concern that if you you price control all these drugs and you push the prices down artificially using government regulations, that these drugs will go away. And new drugs will go away. There's just no doubt about that. Indeed, you can ignore the laws of economics, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring the laws of economics. Correct. As you say, there will be no new drugs if we go down this path too far. You know, when I think about the drug business, I think about uh, electricity transmission. And years ago, in in its wisdom, the, the government decided, hey, electricity is a right. Everybody should get it cheap. And and we should have these uh, electric utility boards that control the prices that people have to pay. And that's what we did as a nation. We stepped in and we controlled the price of electricity through government regulation. And if you now look at a telephone pole that carries power wires on it, it's no different from a telephone pole in the 1920s. They look identical uh, because the technology hasn't advanced that far because There's no reason to to put money into research because all the prices are controlled. And if you want to do that with drug technology, you're going to you're not going to get new inventions. That's just the way it is. Indeed, if we're going to editorialize here, my favorite example is um, uh, I I was around uh, when uh, the wall came down in in uh, in Germany, whether it's West Germany and East Germany. This is Germany, right? A place that loves its uh, machines, loves cars. Um, and when the wall first came down and I went to the east side, I saw these cars called Trabant. Uh, they look like antiques. <laughs> yeah. They were literally 50-year-old model, two-stroke, tiny cars that blew blue smoke out the back and, and uh, you know had about 40 horsepower. I said, well, the east Germans are Germans and the west Germans are Germans. And you walk across the wall to the other side and you see Mercedes-Benz and, and BMWs and, and uh, Audis. And you say, oh, you know, what was the difference? And what happened on the East German side is they said, look, uh, you can only charge so much for a car and everyone's guaranteed a car. Uh, and the result was, uh, again, car technology was frozen in amber uh, and everyone had to wait three months to or three years to get a new car. Yep. Uh, so you got a guaranteed car, but it was terrible and you had to wait a long time for it. I think, you know, again, we, get, we, can, we can come up with innumerable numbers of uh, examples of what happens in, in nightmare scenarios when you set price controls and make guarantees that everyone has access. But in, in the end, uh, we will all proverbially be driving Trabants when the, when the government intervenes. Yeah. And, and what's disappointing in the drug world is that we are on the precipice of some great breakthroughs. We're going to start applying artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and a whole bunch of emerging technologies are going to soon be applied to drug discovery. And it's going to open up a whole new world of cures. And just as this moment is happening, we're inflicting price controls on the industry and and we're going to we're going to get shortages because of it that's that's it's very disappointing because the science is just so amazing uh that's happening now and well, we'll go ahead no i was just going to say the last thing you want to do is depress this uh this renaissance of scientific knowledge in, indeed and, and particularly here in boston I, we were talking in the, on a broad sense as we are all uh, people who can get sick and have terrible diseases and need uh, expensive therapies. 
But uh, on the other side, we have a, a, a local industry that uh, one only needs to look across the river uh, to Cambridge and see all these wonderful new buildings with uh, drug companies uh, on top. Um, we are locally the beneficiary of all this wonderful new breakthrough technology. Um, so let me, uh, we're getting close to the end of our time together. Um, so we've kind of laid out this situation for our listeners, uh, but we are uh, not just a think tank or a do tank or think and do tank. What could listeners do if they really were uh, uh, inspired by this conversation to, to, to reach out to their legislator to say, listen, though I'd love my drug prices to be lower, maybe we should rethink some of these uh, provisions. Yeah, I think the, the, the provision that troubles me the most is the disparity between small molecule and, and large molecule um, drugs and being able to price control small molecules faster. I think that creates an enormous distortion, an, an enormous disincentive for researching small molecule drugs, which have enormous promise in cancer and other diseases. And and you ought to be talking to your member of Congress, particularly if you're in the industry and you know how debilitating these provisions are. And, and you should be saying, no, level the playing field. It should be 13 years for each. Um, there should be no difference between these these types of molecules because you're skewing research artificially. Indeed. Well, that's a, that's a great way to, uh, I think, uh, uh, activate our listeners and say, listen, um, you know, we, we, we want you to help us, uh, but this, this ain't doing it. This is uh, we're moving in the other direction. So thank you for your time today, Bill. Your expertise is always welcome on the show and you help our listeners understand things a little better. My pleasure. I wish I had better news. <laughs> <laughs> This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Pioneer Institute and Hubwonk. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you would like to make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future Hubwonk episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.